0: Welcome to Dharma Conversations, where each week we explore topics to better understand ourselves, the world around us, and our place in it. We hope these conversations create wellsprings of reflection and insight in your own life and practice, and we look forward to you joining us in the conversation. Alright, we'll start with the opening prayers. I take refuge in am, enlightened in the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. Through the positive potential I create,
1: by practicing generosity and the other far-reaching attitudes, may I attain Buddhahood for the sake of all sentient beings: All right, thank you guys, and uh, thank you for joining
0: us today. Welcome to uh, our third annual. Uh, 100-Day Nundro Practice Intensive. Um, I know a lot of you have taken this uh, course or this intensive before, and I know we also have a couple of new students. Uh, So I just kind of want to start from the beginning and kind of uh, go over uh, the practice of Nundro, why why Nundro is important. And, um, you know, today is really a day where we want to focus on uh, the actual practice. Um, and so if you have practice related, you know, questions, uh, you know, hopefully most of you have been practicing for this past week, and had uh, some opportunities to, to actually look at the practice. And, you know, maybe there were certain practices that were more confusing than others. Uh, but today, we really want to focus on just trying to clear up some of those questions, and, and give you guys a firm uh, foundation to continue as we go through this next couple months here um, so with that in mind um, you know I encourage you guys if you have questions as they kind of come up feel free to interrupt me raise your hand or just kind of unmute yourself and uh, and speak up because um, we definitely want to encourage questions as we go forward so so let's start with nundro uh, so nundro you know we often translate Nundro as preliminary practice, uh, but if you look at the word nun, the first part, the first syllable in that word nun, uh, means to prepare. It means to, uh, you know, it means before. It's kind of this kind of preparatory aspect, and then dro means to go. It means to travel. Uh, so nundro, you know, we translate as preliminary practice. Uh, but we can also translate it as, you know, preparing to go, preparing to travel, uh, or the activities that's done before we travel. Um, and so in this sense, it's really, you know, preparing uh, or giving us the necessary, you know, resources and tools that we're going to need as we go on the path of liberation. Uh, so Rimshe has titled this text, the preliminary practice of opening the door to the path of liberation, um, and so in this sense, you know, if we're going to travel the path of liberation, uh, before we do that, we need to prepare ourselves and and make sure that as we travel this path, that we have, uh, you know, everything that we need. Whether it's, you know, we know where that we know where we're going, we know why we're going. Uh, You know, we have the necessary skills and tools that we need to travel the path. Um, And so this Nundro is really laying that foundation. Another way that we can think about Nundro is really kind of preparing this ground that we're going to continue to build our practice on. And so just like if you're going to build a building, you want to have a firm foundation. Uh, In that same way, you want to have, you know, as as we build our practice, and engage in practices like tantric, you know, generation and completion stage, or as we enter into zogchen practices like uh, Chud and Togo, things like that. Uh, we want to have a solid ground, and so that our practice in those advanced stages actually ripens and yields the the fruit that uh, we're looking to be able to enjoy. Um, and so that's kind of the place of Nundro. Um, I do have a question I want to pose to, I know we have a couple kind of long time practitioners here. Uh, and I want to kind of pose this question because I think it's important. Um, a lot of times, you know, in some, uh, well, let me kind of kind of rephrase this. Uh, so Rinpoche encourages all of his students to do the Nundro. Uh, and he encourages all students to partake in Nandro uh, really for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, he doesn't necessarily, so generally when we talk about nundro, there's this accumulation type mentality of doing 100,000 prostrations, 100,000 of the Vajrasattva, 100,000 mandala offerings, 100,000 uh, recitations of the Guru Mantra. And so there's this idea that we're going to like somehow do nundro. We're going to finish all of those accumulations, and then we can go do the main practice. Then we can do go do, you know, zogchen, mahamudra, things like that. Uh, Rinpoche kind of uses a different tact, and he says that, you know, we should engage in the practice of nundro for the rest of our life. That we shouldn't necessarily get caught up in the idea of like, I need to finish nundro before I can do practices like zogchen. Um, but that we should engage in the practice of nundra now and we should also engage in these other practices too. So so my question is, is what is, you know, as Dzogchen practitioners, most of us here uh have known Ramshi a long time, as Dzogchen practitioners or as Mahamudra practitioners, you know, do we really still need to practice nundro? Can we just say, Hey, you know, I I've had my Dzogchen instruction from Rinpoche. I don't really need to do Nundra anymore. I can just kind of
1: skip it. Is there a place for that? Karen?
2: Um, I would say no, because it's, it's um, our, our practice is something that is is continually unfolding. Um, I was looking over notes from last year when you went into detail um, about the, um, you know, the, the Dzogchen influence in um, Rinpoche's um, Nundro text, and, you know, I, w- I was, um, I kind of had overlooked that, you know, as the year goes along, you know, I just get caught up in other stuff. But, you know, there, there's just, there's so much depth and so much continuing to present and unfold. Life experience brings up so many different um, opportunities to deepen your practice that um, I, I think it, it continues to give you this really solid ground wherever you are, you know, in whatever, you know, kind of form of practice you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's great. A great point Karen that you know this idea that somehow we're going to uh, you know do nundro and then kind of set it aside uh, and then just focus on the main practices fails to kind of recognize that our practice continue as it un- as it deepens it continues to unfold and we go through all these different layers and so you know right now you might have a certain kind of appreciation for something like, you know, the precious human life, which seems very kind of, you know, simple. Of course we have a precious human life. Of course we appreciate this freedom and this opportunity that we have. Uh, But as your practice deepens that, you know, contemplating precious human life takes on a different, uh, more nuanced perspective. And so, you know, we should always continue to cultivate and contemplate these type of, uh,
1: preliminary practices. I know there's a lot of uh, Facebook groups out there,
0: these kind of discussion forums that tend to say, you know, oh, Dzogchen practitioners, we don't need to practice Nundro, right? Because Dzogchen, the view is, you know, we're already primarily perfect. Uh, there's no accumulation to be to be needed. There's no you know, there's no stages to the path. Uh, and we just need to realize that right now. We just need to just be introduced to that and, and simply use that. We don't need to go through this accumulation of merit and wisdom, which is what they talk about in the, in the nundral practice. So, you know, we see a lot of this kind of mentality out there, a lot of this kind of view that... We don't need these type of practices. Um, You know, Rinpoche is very adamant that that these are really important, that they do add fuel to this fire of realization. And that if we abandon these practices, or if we just kind of skip over them thinking that they're not uh, important, that we're actually doing ourselves a a great disservice. And we're we're eliminating a lot of this kind of fuel that uh, will eventually get rise to this this fire of realization. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, I want to use this, uh, when I was kind of preparing for the class today, I was reading through Pacho Rinpoche's um, Words of My Perfect Teacher, which, which is a fabulous text. And I think, you know, for those of you who are new to uh, doing nundro, uh, the words of my perfect teacher is a great text because it actually goes through each of the four different uh, nundro practices, and then it also goes into great detail into all the common preliminaries and the uh, you know contemplating the four thoughts that turn the mind to the Dharma. Uh, so that's a great text to to have as a resource. Uh, but the first chapter in that text was uh, how to receive Dharma teachings. And in that text, Paul uses this uh, analogy of a vessel. So, you know, when we think about our relationship to the teachings and to the teacher, uh, you know, later on we'll talk about, in, Bodhi, in the Bodhicitta section, uh, we'll talk about the six paramitas and specifically the, the uh, perfection of generosity. And it says that the perfection of generosity uh, one of the the best ways that we can please the teacher is to offer our own body, speech, and mind as uh, the basis, or if you will, as the vessel uh, to receive the teachings and and actually put the teachings into practice. So when we think of 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 our own body, speech, and mind as this vessel that we're offering to the guru and saying, you know, please pour forth these instructions, these, you know, pith instructions on the nature of the mind uh, so that I'll benefit uh, not only myself, but all sentient beings. Uh, we really want to have a vessel that is suitable to actually receive those teachings and to put those teachings into practice. Uh, you know, we can recognize our own innate potential. We can recognize our own our own innate Buddha-nature, uh, but we should also be honest and, and you know, realize that if we're going to offer our own selves as this vessel to receive the teachings, that we want to do as much as we can to prepare that vessel so that we receive the teachings appropriately and that we can actually put them to good use. So Patshu uses these three faults, if you will, of a vessel. So the first is the vessel's overturned. Uh, So in this sense, you know, the teacher can pour out his instructions, and this water of the teachings, you know, just hits the vessel, and since it's overturned, it just kind of bounces off, and it just, you know, nothing's retained. Um, And that really really symbolizes the fault of failing to listen or failing to understand um, or failing to pay attention. You know, so you might be at a teaching physically, but mentally you're off thinking about all the stuff you need to do uh, or, or you're thinking about some other, you know, priority that's kind of floating through. Um, and so even though you're there physically, mentally, you're not paying attention. Uh, you're not being present. And so we're just like this overturned vessel that just, you know, doesn't collect any of the, the nectar of the teachings. The second fault is uh, that the bowl is upturned, but it's, it's kind of lined with poison uh, in this sense, the poison is it's lined with, you know, arrogance or, or pride or deceitfulness or, you know, Oh, I'm just attending this teaching because then I can go, you know, say that, Oh, I did Nundro. So now I can, you know, go to this other teacher and say, you know, I want you to give me permission to do, you know, retreat um and so it's kind of this kind of dishonest uh type of vessel because you know it's it's tainted by this kind of selfish uh preoccupation with your own agenda your own projects your own you know fancy notions so that's the second fault and then the third fault is that uh there's holes in the vessel so you know we can think about these whole we all should be able to recognize this one in ourselves. Uh, because we all have gaps in our understanding, we all have gaps in, uh, you know, we receive teachings and we we get ninety percent of it, but there's like that ten percent that like we're just not ready to like assimilate. We're not ready to fully understand or appreciate the the depth of that instruction. Uh, so in this sense, these holes just kind of you know cause this leaky vessel. So even though we receive the teachings. Uh, not everything sticks. There's always kind of something, something missing. So, uh, in this sense, we can engage in the nundra practice. We can study the teachings. We can contemplate these common preliminaries. All of this is preparing our vessel, so that when we go to the teacher and say, you know, request these teach like when we request these teachings uh, in the opening prayers, we offer the offer the offer the mandala to the guru and then you request teachings, um, we can be sure that we've done everything, at least on our part, to prepare our own body, speech, and mind to receive the teachings. So I thought it was kind of notable that Paltrow started started uh, his text with, with those three. Um, and I think it's important. I think it gives us some context with which... With which to relate to to these practices of of this accumulation of merit kind of preparing our own body speech and mind so that we can be the best students possible uh and really you know receive these teachings from Rinpoche and and do our best to put them into practice and hopefully achieve their uh, achieve their results so um all right, so let's turn to the text cuz today like I said I really want to focus on the Nundro text itself and uh, you know, clear up any questions people have about the Nundro practice.
1: So Rinpoche starts with uh, he calls it the beginning meditation,
0: but this is really, you know, it's either a meditation done uh, first thing when we get up in the morning or Uh, or just, you know, at the beginning of a meditation session. So are all of you familiar with uh, the nine-round purification breath? I think Gisela, that might be new. Maybe Karen and Madison, that might be new for you
1: guys, right? So in the nine-round purification breath, um, the first thing we
0: want to kind of do is just visualize uh, our body is this transparent, luminous, kind of empty body, um, just kind of visualizing your body dissolving into this body of light, you know, like a rainbow in the sky. It appears, but it's completely empty or transparent. So, Just take a moment
1: as you settle into your meditation just to visualize your body kind of taking on this luminous, empty form. And within that space, you can start to connect with the breath.
0: And as you inhale, you can imagine inhaling a pure white light, purifying the body, speech, and mind of all illness, disease, obscurations. And as you exhale, you can imagine exhaling all of that negativity, all that stress, all those problems as a heavy black smoke. So inhaling a pure white light, purifying the body, speech, and mind, and then exhaling a heavy black smoke, completely eliminating
1: all of that negativity from the body so you just start for a few minutes just kind of focusing on that breath inhaling filling the body like this like this luminous uh white nectar it just completely fills the body
0: and then with the hands we use uh this vajra mudra or vajra fist so the uh the ri- the thumb is placed at the root of the ring finger, and then the two middle fingers are closed over. So this is vajra fist. Uh, in a Western context, we can sometimes call this the rock star mudra.
1: Um, but the hands with vajra fist are on the on the knees. Let me see if I can uh, scoot this back here. I don't really have a ton of room. So the hands are on the knees, in Vajra fist, and then as we exhale, we're extending the fingers, and as you inhale, inhaling the fingers, and we'll start with the right hand, and and you, with that Vajra fist, bring it up the outer thigh up the torso to like the, the rib cage area.
0: And then you snap the elbow into the, into the torso. Extend the arm. And then with the right pointer finger, you want to bring that right pointer finger to the nose. So the
1: pinky's up. and the right pointer finger is on the, uh, on the right nostril. So inhaling three long, smooth breaths through that left nostril. And at the end of the three breaths, then we bring that right elbow back down
0: into the torso and then extend it back to the
1: knee. And then we'll do that with the left hand, left hand up, elbow into the torso, arm out, and then bringing that left left pointer finger to the left nostril and taking three long smooth breaths through that right nostril. And then after those three breaths, bringing the right elbow down into the torso.
0: And then back down to the knee. And then the last three breaths, we just breathe through both nostrils, exhaling,
1: out, inhaling. So I know that's a little bit... Not great visuals there. Um, But better than nothing, I suppose.
0: The main thing there is, you know, really, as you inhale, really visualize inhaling this pure white nectar, purifying the body, speech, and mind. And then exhaling this heavy black smoke. And then when you breathe through the left nostril, You can continue that visualization. So they say, you know, purifying uh, the left as you breathe in, you purify the past, purify the present, and purify the future. That's not really that important, but um, just have the idea that this breath is long and gentle, and it's refreshing, rejuvenating, purifying the body. uh, You know, bringing in all these kind of positive energies or qualities. Um, and then after we do that, after you do the nine round breaths, you do three with the left, uh, well, three with the right hand, three with the left hand, and then three breaths with both hands on the knees. Then just kind of let go of the breath, let go of the visualization, and just rest in that, what we call the natural state, or this kind of neutral state, free from concepts. Just rest there for a few minutes. Rimsha says here in the text, relaxed into a state of equality,
1: free from concepts. That's what we want to do. Just relax into that state. And then from there, we can contemplate the
0: common preliminaries. So, the common preliminaries are precious human life, impermanence, karma, and the suffering of samsara. So, Rimsha has a very short uh, short verse there. Um, but, you know, we can contemplate these common preliminaries, you know, throughout our day. I think each of us has moments in our day when we have these kind of insights into precious human life, impermanence, karma, and the suffering of, of samsara. Um, you know, these four, four thoughts that turn the mind towards the dharma, uh, they really have a way of, uh, you know, purifying the mind and really aligning our perspective with what we would say is like, you know, the Buddhist values or the way that uh, a Buddha kind of perceives the world. Um, and so, contemplating these, we can really align ourselves with these with these values. And
1: uh, you know, they're really Honestly, at least in like in my
0: practice and so many other people I've talked about, you know, these common preliminaries just reveal so much insight, so much uh fuel and and blessings and uh power uh to our practice and to our especially as we take the practice you know into our daily life. Um they're really a source of a lot of inspiration and uh and blessings. So I definitely encourage you guys to to contemplate those. Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a formal contemplation like during a meditation session. Um, but you know,
1: every day, day to day, these are things that we should should contemplate. Uh, Rimsha has the speech blessing. Any questions on the speech blessing? John? Yeah, I've got a question on that. Um, is there a particular melody or anything with that?
3: Um, uh, I don't know if, if, because uh, I know sometimes melodies help us remember things, and I don't know if there's a melody to chanting any of this text in Tibetan, but that was just something that came across my mind.
0: Yeah, there's no melody
1: that Rinpoche's had. He tends to do the, just kind of the rapid, uh, recitation when he does these he you know he just kind of recites so
0: there's no kind of melody he just kind of recites it in Tibetan I will say that with the primarily with the uh, Ali Kali mantra which is the long mantra on the uh, speech blessing that's called the Ali Kali so Ali means consonants and uh, I'm sorry yeah Ali means vowels and Kali means consonants so, Ali Kali is the is the Sanskrit uh, mantra of the uh, vowels and consonants, and so this mantra and the Omidharma mantra that follow, uh, you know, for a long time I really struggled because it's a it's a long mantra, uh, a lot of syllables in it, a hundred actually, and so um, it's a little bit complicated, but um, when you get into the, what I would say, the resonance of the mantra, um trying to carry through this resonance through the whole mantra, it gets a lot easier. So, you know, when you instead of like breaking between syllables, Om Ah Ri Ri, try to extend those Om Ri Ri Lily Um so just try to get into the vibration of the mantra. Um, and it'll it it it'll start to just, as you recite it, it'll start to kind of take on a, a, a melody of its own that's kind of resonating with your own kind of natural speech. Um, so I don't know if that's helpful, um, but I found for me that was helpful just to kind of focus on trying to like, get into the, um, the sound of the mantra rather than the, just the syllables of the
1: mantra. Uh, Greg, I have a question. Yeah. In the speech blessing, the third part, it says, uh, by the power of the mantra, displays of light rays radiate from Lama, Yadam, Yidam, and Daikini. Yep. And I know the syllables, sometimes they have a meaning on their own. So are some of these three Lamaidam taikini, are they found included in the Ali Kali mantra? Nope. You know what I mean? No.
0: Nope. So this is kind of obscure, uh, but I'll just kind of mention it. Um, so the when you think about the tantric conception of the universe, uh, this the root is the syllable ah. Uh, A is the syllable of emptiness or uh, non-arising or unborn. So the root is A. And if we recognize A, we recognize primordial liberation. We recognize primordial buddhahood. We recognize the true nature of our own mind, the true nature of reality. So A is unceasing emptiness. uh, Realized directly. Without elaboration. A is just one syllable, right? It's non-arising, without elaboration. If A is not recognized, if emptiness is not recognized, then from A arise the Ali Kali mantra, so the, the, the mantra of vowels and consonants. So the radiance of A is Ali Kali. And so that's this mantra that we just had here. Om the vowels are first and then the consonants. And then from a Tantra perspective, if, Ali Kali, uh, if the Alikali isn't recognized, and this kind of relates a little bit to Chen, because we can recognize the Alikali as the display of A, right? It's the Tzal, it's the, it's the power, it's the dynamic energy of A arising as these 30 consonants and vowels. So if Alikali isn't recognized, then the Alikali transforms into the various elements, the various constituents of the world. You know, in 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 some tantric practices, uh, primarily the older tantric practices, not necessarily in the tantric practices that we do, but each of the syllables will be like in different parts of the body, and so they're they're kind of rooted in different skandhas and rooted in different elements. Um, But basically, all of that stems from not recognizing ah or the unborn nature of phenomena. So from ah, that power of ah, if not recognized becomes the Ali Kali mantra and then the Ali Kali mantra itself, if not recognized becomes the universe of appearances and possibilities. So that's kind of a, that's kind of what the Ali Kali mantra means and why, uh, why it's used in a tantric context. This next mantra is the mantra of the interdependent origination um, we see this mantra a lot in uh, in uh, Prajna Paramita or like uh, Mahayana Sutra texts. Um, and it just, you know, it says all phenomena arises, arise from causes and those t- causes have been taught by the Tathagata and their cessation too has been proclaimed by the great practitioner of virtue or Shramanara.
1: Any other questions on that? speech blessing hey greg uh do most people do that in english or in the uh the sanskrit the
0: mantra of interdependent origination
1: yeah um you know you can do any of it in english you know i like uh i don't know i i mean try it
0: in tibetan or in the this is kind of like a tibetan sanskrit mantra
1: but um you know, there are certain mantras that
0: just from a historical perspective of the tradition, um it's nice to
1: preserve the 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 original structure.
0: You know, I'm kind of reminded of a uh when we were giving teachings, ah, we weren't giving teachings, when I was receiving teachings. At the, uh, at the Kala Chakra in Washington, D.C., um, the, the Dalai Lama, when he first started uh, the teachings on Kalachakra, Chakra, he did the Masam Jumme Shira Paro Chimaki Mek Namkingo when it's Sosa Rangeshitru, Dusam Yau Yumna Chaksa Lo, and then Tiyata Gate Gate Paragate Parasam Gate Bodhi Soha, which is the prayer for Prajna uh or the prayer for the perfection of wisdom. Um which for those of you guys who uh are familiar with Chud, uh that's the Prajna Paramita prayer that we do in the beginning of Chud. Um and it was it was just kind of nice to know what he was saying, and like I was like, Oh yeah, I know that prayer, like I'm gonna do it at the same time. So um, you know, some of these things, just from a tradition perspective. It's nice to know, you know, it's good to know the English, obviously, since we speak English, uh, but it's nice to know the Tibetan. And and this is one of those mantras that you'll often hear um, at teachings and things. Uh, and so it's, nice to, it's just nice to know. That's my opinion.
3: Well, great to go back to what you were talking about earlier about finding your own voice and your own cadence and your own melody, so to speak, I think this is... This is one of the first. Um, uh, this and and the original long life uh, mantra that Kanchuban Rinpoche taught years ago. Um, the, those are the first ones that I really kind of found a, a cadence with. You know what I mean? Uh, especially this one because it's got such a a depth of meaning behind the words. It it um, it engages you uh, vocally and uh, meditatively, but also conceptually because there's so much information packed in there that this kind of absorbs you completely when you when you uh when you start
1: chanting it more than once yeah all right let's move on to refuge i was wondering the meaning of the word shramana the great shramana
0: that is a practitioner of virtue okay
1: thank you
0: shramanera is
1: a practitioner of virtue. Virtuous practitioner, so the great virtuous practitioner, you could say, Greg, it's, no, it's nobody in particular here. The great shramana
0: that's uh, that's referring to the Buddha Shakyamuni. Okay,
1: that's what I thought. Okay, thank you. None
0: of us, we're not included, <laughs>
2: uh, uh, Greg. Yeah. The image on five <clears throat> that doesn't refer back to the ali kali, right? Is that something different? The image on page five <clears throat> surrounding the ah. Uh?
0: Yeah. So the image on page five is uh, the ah. Uh, hmm And then the ali is around okay. it. So that's the uh, that's yeah. the vowels, and then okay. the kali is around that. And then actually, in this one, the om yadam mantra is around that.
2: Okay. Hmm. Thank you.
0: So that's the uh, visual kind of depiction. I can see my visualization is not that clear. So I used just visualize the white syllables or the white light coming into uh, the tongue. None I? Of that really makes sense, any sense to me. And, and I'm pretty familiar with Tibetan. So literally complex, but if you want complex, there you go.
2: Beautiful. It's good to know what that it is exactly what you just reviewed. Thank you. Yeah
1: so refuge um any questions on refuge and prostrations
0: any uh so this first couple of weeks we're focusing on prostrations
1: any uh i don't see any let me see here no i don't see any uh any bumps on the foreheads yet nope any uh problems doing prostrations. Yeah, we need we need uh
0: there's some story of like some uh, Tibetan lama who was prostrating and had a big uh callus right on his forehead from doing all the prostrations that he did.
1: Sometimes uh when we were when we were in uh in Kathmandu
0: maybe call of you guys had a chance to do this recently but when we were in Kathmandu, one day, uh, who was it? It was me and Karen and Steve and Carrie, I believe, decided that we were going to prostrate around the Great Stupa or Boda. Um I think it was Carrie's idea, actually. But uh, so we just we just started prostrating around around the Stupa, and uh, you know. The stupa looks pretty clean, but uh, it's not. And so when we were all done, we were just covered head to toe in all this dirt. Uh, And our foreheads, everyone had like a forehead just full of of dirt. So we were all doing, you know, very very good prostrations. Gisela says, are you chanting as you do prostrations? Yes. Well you're not necessarily chanting. Um, so in general, the way there's two ways to do prostrations uh, for accumulation. So we can either each time we do a prostration, we can recite the verse. You know, so we can say tenji Do a prostration, come back up. That's one. And if you wanna if you want to do it in English. However you can best memorize uh, the verse, is I, that's how you should do it. Uh, if it's easier for you to memorize the Tibetan, because it, sometimes it's a little bit easier to kind of develop a rhythm in the Tibetan, um, do it that way. If that's too hard and too nonsensical, uh, you know, memorize the English and just kind of develop your own kind of rhythm with the English. Um, but one way is just to recite the verse each time. So visualizing the refuge field in front of you, reciting the verse,
1: doing the uh, body, speech, and mind, so crown, uh, throat, and heart,
0: and then prostrating. The other way is to start by reciting the verse, and then to just recite the mantra as you go. Uh, And I'll be honest with you, the mantra is a little bit easier because you don't get so out of breath it's very practical <laughs> but as you're doing prostrations especially as you're doing you know 20 or 100 prostrations you just start to get winded and so namo manjushri namo sushri namo uttamsri is a lot easier than saying you know lumetanji chapsakaladana it just it's it's just easier. So, so you can do either. Um, Rinpoche said either of them count uh, towards towards you know our accumulation of the prostrations. Um, but I'll just say from experience, it's it's usually easier to start with the verse, and then as you're doing, just recite the mantra.
2: Karen, yeah, I, d- I do it with the verse. I just just kind of got used to that. But uh, I I do. I have noticed that using the the mantra is a little easier as far as breathing rhythm is concerned.
1: Yeah. Greg,
2: I had a question. Yeah. Um, When doing frustrations, and I understand that um, our motivation is um, of our number one source, But if we're ever in a position where we are physically unable, um, for whatever reason to do the physical prostrations, um, is there a particular technique that we should do if this is, if we're lying in a bed or just sitting down, but we, we are in a, Capacity where we cannot physically do the prostrations, we're able to um, mentally be there and recite them. Is there something in particular we should do?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely okay to uh, just visualize the refuge field in front of you uh, and then just to, you know, recite heartfelt uh, refuge in Bodhicitta. Um, it may be even doing that for repetitions, you know, just reciting that
1: again and again and again. Uh, out of that great devotion and, and perseverance, um, you know, when you have certain physical, uh,
0: you know, obstacles or physical problems, um, you know, you can you can modify so you can do. Um, you know, I think at Rimshay one time, someone had a uh, a brace on their ankle. And so it was just really difficult for them to, to be getting up and down, up and down, up and down. And so he had them, like, just do prostrations, you know, from their knees. You know, just kind of come up to the knee and then go down. Um, you know, whatever is, I guess within your, within your reach, I guess. Um, Don't feel that you need to, you know, somehow force yourself to do prostrations. You know, maybe, maybe now is not the time to do prostrations. Maybe now is the time to focus on Vajrasattva or focus on Manila offerings, focus on Guru Yoga. Um, Don't, don't
1: push yourself beyond where your body's comfortable or capable. Does that help? Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we tend to be very kind of achievement
0: and uh, goal oriented. And so, you know, when we say that, oh, well, we need to do prostrations and we need to accumulate these prostrations, uh, you know, we tend to be very much like, okay, well, if I'm not doing it right, then it doesn't count. You know, like we just, it's either, either we're doing it correct or not doing it correct. Um, But we don't need to be so rigid about, uh, about right and wrong. We just need to, as much as possible, um, you know, do the best we can within our own capacity uh, to, to practice these practices. Um, That's not to say that, when you're capable that you should invent shortcuts uh because that's certainly not uh beneficial um but you know if we do have certain physical uh challenges you know just doing whatever is within uh your your capabilities is all that is all that's needed (laughs) all right so for vajrasattva any questions on vajrasattva so vajrasattva is a purification practice. Purification, when we talk about purification, we're talking about purifying body, speech, and mind of all negative karma, negative habitual tendencies, uh, negative emotions, uh, conceptual or cognitive obscurations, um, obviously illness and disease, things like that. Um, so that's what we're purifying here. And The practice of Vajrasattva is initially we're kind of in our ordinary form and Vajrasattva is above our head. And then we receive, as we recite the the mantra of Vajrasattva, we receive this kind of nectar or luminous light that's kind of descending down, entering our crown and just filling our entire body. And at the end of the practice, Vajrasattva actually merges with us such that we are in Separable from Vajrasattva. Um, and it's important that we do that because then we can recognize our own originally pure, uh, you know, Rupakaya form, our own originally pure, uh, you know, Buddha body, if you will. Um, and that we can recognize that these qualities of original purity, uh, these qualities of, you know, not being contaminated by. Ordinary, you know, thoughts and conceptions and ordinary appearances; um, those aren't uh, inherent to who we are. That we have this this Buddha nature that is already perfectly uh, complete and present. Uh, we just don't recognize that Buddha nature. And so, when we're merging with Vajrasattva at the end, we're recognizing our own original purity, um, our own originally pure body, speech, and mind. Um, And then at the end of that, you know, everything dissolves into the hung at the heart center and the hung dissolves into a tiny bindu of light uh, and then that dissolves into emptiness and then we rest in that that state of expansive emptiness.
1: So we just meditate, you know, one minute, two minutes, ten minutes, whatever you have available to you. Any questions on Vajrasattva at all? You know, generally as a, as a, I hate to say minimum, because I don't want, I
0: don't want you guys to feel like you have to do so much each day, but they generally recommend doing 21 Vajrasattva, 21 of the long Vajrasattva mantras each day, um, as a kind of daily practice. So, um, you know, if you can't do 21, maybe do three of the long mantras and then do the rest in the short mantra. Um, a good practice to get into is if you could do 21 of the long mantra and then complete the 100, which is the a full one mala is about is 108 beads. So one mala, you do 21 of the, the long 100 syllable mantra, and then you finish that loop with the Om Bhaja Hung mantra. So that would be a good good habit, if you will, to get into uh, for Vajrasattva, is just having that be part of your daily practice. If you don't have time, though, you can just do three, and then you can just do the short mantra. That's
1: okay, too. I actually really like to, uh, you know, recite the Vajrasattva mantra when I'm
0: driving or, you know, Taking a shower, you can recite the Vajrasattva mantra. You can, you can kind of recite that, you know, anytime. It doesn't need to be just on your meditation cushion. John, um, I'm
3: I'm lazy, and so I asked my teacher if I could do um, accumulations whenever I had the chance, and he said, yeah, but make sure you say the Nundro verse first. So if I wanted to accumulate guru yoga mantras, you know, while I had time, like waiting for a bus, uh, for instance, or whatever, um, um, you'd say the verse and then you could accumulate the mantra during the visualization. And it's the same with uh, um, Vajrasattva here. So um, that's something to keep in mind that as we as we have time, uh, as, as this time of... Um, Focus on the Nundro um, is over. We can continue um, practicing these things in our quote unquote spare time. Um, but as long as we say the Nundro verse first and complete the visualization while we do it, that was the instruction I
1: received.
0: Yep. Yeah, and you know, another thing that I kind of want to point out with Vajrasattva, um Because to to purify these kind of root habitual tendencies, you know, negative emotions, things like that, we really need to first acknowledge them, acknowledge their presence. And so in the verse, it talks about these four powers of confession, reliance, antidotes, and the vow not to recommit. We actually really need to actually take a moment to do that in our practice before we do the, the recitation. So. If you just recite the verse, then hop into the mantra and then you do the dissolution, there's going to be some benefit. Uh, but if we actually take a moment to acknowledge, or, as it says here, this confession, you know, to acknowledge our own negative habits, our own uh, you know, negative thoughts, negative actions that we've done through the day. Um, that's what's really going to give this practice of Vajrasattva, this liberating factor, this liberating quality, is being able to acknowledge and actually uproot these, uh, these kind of subtle obscurations. So, so take a moment, you know, before you do that 100 uh, syllable Mantra, just to kind of reflect, reflect on your day, maybe there's something that you did. Uh, and, you know, when we read these sadhanas and, and you read the confessions that are in these sadhanas, you know, the confession can be, you know, failing to recognize the dynamic display of awareness that can be a confession. You know, I, I grasped to the innate potential of awareness and I I'm grasping at appearances. I'm grasping at uh, you know, the radiance of awareness. That can be a, a confession. If that's the level of your practice uh, to recognize that wherever you're straying from your intention, that's what you're confessing. So, you know, if your practice is to, you know recognize uh, you know the guru's presence or or have this kind of good guru devotion, and you go through a whole day and you're like, "Oh gosh, I never even once even had a uh you know semblance of guru devotion. like you could you could confess that. You could be like, you know, I failed to to appreciate you know the importance of the of the guru and the teachings in my life today. Like that could be your confession. So it doesn't always need to be like, "Oh, I said this bad thing or I did this bad thing." Uh, It can really relate to, uh, you know, the totality of your practice, not just not just your negative thoughts or actions. So when you read those, you know, for those of you who have uh, empowerments or have a a sadhana that you practice, a lot of times within those sadhanas they'll have these uh, confessions. And it's important that we just recognize where we stray in our practice. And and we can use this practice of Vajrasattva to really uh, purify and eliminate that, uh,
1: that straying habit that we have. Any other questions on Vajrasattva at all? So mandala offerings is next.
0: Um, mandala offerings. So we have a video online uh, under the file section of Rimpshade doing the mandala offerings. Um, <laughs> generally, the first mandala offering is is the more kind of extensive. Well, I should say the first and last are the extensive mandala offerings. So there, you would use the mandala plate, and then each of the uh, four four. Well, I guess there's three rings, and then the top ornament. Um, so that first offering, you're kind of you know, doing the f- the four directions and then the center and then putting on the next
1: ring. And then there's a little uh, picture here of the of the universe from a Buddhist kind of cosmological perspective.
0: Um, but basically we can just imagine piling on all these offerings uh, onto this mandala plate and at the end offering that to the guru, to the lineage, to the to the refuge tree that's ahead of us. Um, and then for the short mandala offerings, we just hold the plate, put on your piles of rice in a clockwise manner, wipe out three times, and then wipe in three times. So as you wipe out three times, you're purifying uh, all the obscurations, all the negative emotions. And as you're wiping in, you're gathering those accumulations, gathering those blessings, gathering that virtue. So with each of those, you're just reciting the verse. And again, you know, for me,
1: I like to, to do the verse in Tibetan just because you kind of develop this rhythm and this kind of, uh, you know, it just has this kind of naturally propelling rhythm to it. Uh,
0: but if, if you're more comfortable in English, just, you know, again, it's helpful to, to memorize the English in this sense just so that you can get into some kind of rhythm. And so you're not always kind of in this kind of conceptual dichotomy of like, okay, now I'm mandala offerings and I'm trying to recite the verse. It just helps to get into the practice if you can actually memorize it and just kind of
1: go through it uh, without having to refer uh, to to the text. So when we talk about mandala offerings, what we're accumulating here is this
0: uh, merit and wisdom. So merit is this idea of this like potential or uh, this kind of power that's going to be continuing to fuel our practice. And wisdom is the wisdom of emptiness or the wisdom of seeing things as illusory. So, you know, we're doing this accumulation. We're accumulating merit by offering this mandala to the three jewels, to the refuge
1: tree, to the teacher. Um, so, so I'm sorry. So yeah, we're accumulating
0: merit by offering, uh, this mandala to the three jewels into the refuge tree. And then we're accumulating wisdom because we're seeing this accumulation as being what they call empty of the three spheres. So the agent or the person offering the offering itself and the object of offering are all seen as being empty or illusory. And so we're not clinging to ourself as the one offering or the offering itself as being of some kind of substantial value or, the, or the, the object of the offering as being substantially existing. We're seeing all of those as being empty or empty of the three spheres, as they call it. Um, so that, that is the uh, accumulation of wisdom, is seeing all of this as this kind of uh,
1: illusory, illusory form. So any other questions on mandala offerings? John?
0: Yeah, I have a question about this. If we don't have uh, the mandala plates and
3: things like that, is it appropriate to make the mudra or do we not or do we not do this? Or how do we do the how do we differentiate the the extensive offering versus the, the accumulation offering?
0: Yeah, so if you don't have the, the mandala plates, I would say just recite the the verse and you can use your hands as a mudra. So that's a little bit kind of hard to show. Maybe you guys can ask someone locally. You kind of intertwine the the fingers, and then you join. Uh, let's see. So you kind of pull opposites. So you pull the pointer in the middle finger on opposite hands. You join the, the ring fingers, make up the mountain, or Mount Meru. And then the thumbs grab the pinkies so it's meant to sh- it's meant to be uh, Mount Meru and then the four continents so Mount Meru is the is the two ring fingers in the in the middle and then the four continents surround Mount Meru so this is this is a uh, a symbol of offering the universe basically uh, in in Indian or you know Hindu cosmology there's this idea of, of Mount Meru surrounded by you know the four continents that represents the the universe so uh, when we do a mandala offering it's a offering basically or literally all that appears and exists in the universe is what we're offering um, so if you don't have a plate just do that just recite the verse one time um, and just kind of conclude with that you don't need to do accumulations uh, if you don't have a plate. Eventually you'll get a plate and then you can do the, do the mandala offering accumulation. All right. And then lastly is guru yoga. So guru yoga, uh, we're visualizing the guru uh, inseparable from guru Rinpoche in this swirling, uh, you know, expanse of rainbow light. And, uh, from the Guru, we're receiving these uh, blessings that ripen our ordinary body, speech, and mind, or our uh, kind of contaminated body, speech, and mind, into uh, what they call the three Vajras, or awakened body, speech, and mind, or indestructible body, speech, and mind. <clears throat> so the, the blessings of the Guru are received, and our ordinary form is ripened into uh,
1: this uh, three Kaya form of, of a Buddha. Um, it's, I don't know, it's kind of, I'm going to point this out, so in the
0: text here it says that uh, the Guru is in this form, origin nangsi zilnon. Um, so nangsi means all that appears and exists.
1: Zilnon means overcoming or overwhelming. So he's in this form that it overcomes
0: or overwhelms all that appears and exists. It's this radiant form that, you know, when you think about all that exists in samsara and all that exists in nirvana, his form, the guru's form overwhelms or overcomes all of that. So it's this kind of radiant, uh, just splendid form, uh, that is more radiant and, and, and more powerful, uh, than everything that exists in samsara and nirvana so you know the radiance of the of the guru in that sense is uh you know it's um it's wondrous it's amazing it's uh you know it uplifts the mind it, it's just it's it's appearance uh you know gives rise to all these blessings that we're going to be receiving um <clears throat> And you know, when we talked about earlier, when we talked about uh, preparing this vessel for the teacher, when we talked about that perfection generosity, and that we want to offer this vessel, you know, this practice of, of guru yoga is really where we are quite literally offering our own body, speech and mind to the guru, to the teacher as this perfect vessel, so that we can receive these teachings, we can receive you know his heart instruction. And That we can actually take that and use that on the path uh, and that we can use it to achieve our own liberation for the benefit of other beings that we can you know be more present can be more compassionate we can be more uh, um, understanding and um, and generous and kind um, and so in this practice of guru yoga we're we're the vessel uh, that's being ripened into this uh, That's being ripened by the Guru's blessings into this indestructible body, speech, and mind. So, here, you know, basically you're just, uh, you know, visualizing the Guru ahead of you or above your head and receiving these uh, white, red, and blue rays of light. So, white from the crown, the Guru's uh, body, red from the throat, speech blue from the heart, mind. And that light is uh, being absorbed into your ordinary, into your own three vajras, your own body, speech, and mind, and conferring these blessings. So uh, so as we recite the mantra, we're just visualizing this kind of descent of light into our own body, speech, and mind. And that's, that's what they call the four impartments. So the four impartments, as it says on the last page here at the conclusion, so the three impartments are body, speech, mind, And then the fourth empowerment is all of those at the same time. And so that's why it says here, by the light rays that come forth uh, from the three syllables, one by one and all together. So those are the four empowerments. So one by one is body, speech, mind, and all together is the word or the um,
1: uh, wisdom um, empowerment. Does that make sense? Any questions on guru yoga at all? I know sometimes
0: we get the question about the right home. Uh, so I'll, I'll clarify that for you guys. Um, Cause we tend to get this in every year. Cause normally we talk about a, or Dan, do you guys have a question there?
4: Uh, I did want to ask for some clarification for a second. Is that all right? Yep. Um, so the way I understand what you're saying is um, as we're saying the mantra, we're visualizing the light. Kind of simultaneously. Uh, I do know that at the end there is a stage, you know, after we're done, you know, doing the mantra where we do the, the four empowerments kind of one by one. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of different visualizations for how the fourth empowerment works. Uh, but are you saying that while we're doing the visualization, while we're doing the mantra, the, the lights are sort of coming the whole time as we're chanting, or, or is there something else? You can
0: definitely just do, as you do the mantra, you can just definitely focus on the Guru's form Mm -hmm. um, as this radiant, you know, this Nangsi Zilnul, this radiant form, and just visualize that radiance and just recite the mantra there. Um, And then at the conclusion of that, you can visualize separately uh, those four empowerments coming.
4: Right, right, Uh, okay. And, and just to be clear for everyone, there are a few different ways that Rinpoche set out how the fourth empowerment works. There's one that it's all three lights go into your heart. There's one, uh, in accordance with the Launch and intik that a second light comes out of the Guru's heart into your heart. Uh, there's also um, a visualization that the Guru just dissolves and goes into your body, and that's how you get the fourth empowerment. So those aren't... Um, Conflicting. Those are just different ways to to understand how the fourth empowerment works. Um, so I, I just wanted to say that Rinpoche has not been, to my experience, a hundred percent clear about which of those is better. If one of them is better. Uh, do you have any any response to that? Or,
0: yeah, he hasn't made he hasn't made clear if there's a particular way uh, in this sadhana. Um In here, you know, in the verse it says they come one by one and all together. Uh, so the all together tends to typify the fourth empowerment. Um, but like you said, Dan, a lot of times that fourth empowerment can be the hung from the guru's heart to your heart, uh, sending a ray of light directly from his heart to your heart, um, or just merging. So the guru's mind and your mind become inseparable. That can be the fourth empowerment. Um, so there's different ways to uh, to approach that.
4: I'm sorry, Greg. We, uh, we, we missed that whole thing. We, we can, we can talk about it later. I don't want to make other people hear what you just said.
0: I I basically just,
4: I just reiterated,
0: I think what you said pretty much. So yeah, it's okay.
4: Okay. 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 Great.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Any other questions on Gryoga? All right. So that's the last, and then we dedicate, we dedicate the merit. and that's the that's the end of the Nundro so after the dedication there is a long life prayer for rimshe if you guys want to do that on closing that's the long uh, uh, kind of the extensive long life prayer for Rinpoche. Um there is also a, a commentary at the end of this text uh, from it's a short commentary but rimshe kind of goes over the um, each of the practices so it's good to read through that but any questions, any other questions, I guess? I guess we're over our uh, five o'clock time here, our our one hour time frame. Um, but I do
1: want We're way over five <laughs> o'clock here. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: um,
2: is this considered the world?
0: Isabel, did you have a question?
4: Um, why don't you ask? Her yeah. her yeah. no, no. Greg, there's a question here. Well,
1: hold on. Okay. Yes, this, Go is, ahead. this is from
2: Karen Jackson. Is this considered the oral transmission? This just dis- what you've
0: uh, been I think uh, Dan or Kalev can probably give you the oral transmission. This was basically the uh, so, when we talk about traditional uh, ways that we transmit the teachings, um, we say lung, wong, and tree. So lung is the oral transmission, which is basically just reading through the text. Uh, the Wong is the empowerment. There's not an empowerment associated with, uh, with the Nundra text and then tree is the instruction. So this is more the tree or the instruction on the practice. Um, Dan or Kaliv can kind of give you the Lung quick, uh, since we already did, the the instruction, but, um, yeah, the Lung is basically just a traditional way to, uh, authenticate the passing on of the teachings to, to the student. So, um, it's, it's kind of the traditional way that the teachings were transmitted to preserve them in a uh, verifiable type of way. So I think, I think Dan or Kalif can probably give you that.
4: Um. Yeah, we can talk about it. No problem. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's see. Oh, Gisela said, how long does it take to do it, Nundro? wondering uh, how much time to set aside each day? So, uh, Karen said, "Well, I'm going to pinch. I'll take about 20 to 25 minutes uh, doing three long vajrasatvas and then 100 short ones. Um, you know, there's a couple ways to approach this. Um, so I've been consistent doing the practice each day this week. Um, I can say that my shortest time was probably about five minutes, uh, and I did three prostrations." I recited each of the verses and did, uh, I think I did three Vajrasattvas and then just one uh, mantra and everything else. And it, it took me about five minutes. I can't say that it was very transformative experience uh, or or that much benefit other than simply maintaining the continuity of the practice was concerned. Uh, but you can go through the practice in a relatively short time. once you, Especially once you know that, once you memorize it, where you don't need to like fish out all your texts and everything. Uh, But I would say if you could, if you could try to do, you know, you can have a pretty substantial, you know, really nice meditation session in about 25 to 30 minutes. That 30 minutes would really give you time to, you know, sink into each of the practices. Maybe you're not doing a hundred prostrations in that 30 minutes. Maybe you're just doing like 10 or 20 prostrations. Uh, but you know, 30 minutes would give you time to really sink into each of the other practices. It really only takes about, you know, five, 10 minutes and you can, you can do Vajrasattva in five, 10 minutes. You can do Guri Yoga in five, 10 minutes, uh, mandala offering. I mean, usually, unless I'm actually getting out my mandala plate and all that kind of, you know, all that extra stuff, I'll usually just do the one mandala offering. You know, so that's quick. Um, And, you know, prostrations, it's kind of up to you. Uh, Since we're focusing on prostrations this first few weeks, you know, I I think, you know, if you want to try to spend 10, 15, 20 minutes each day trying to do prostrations, um, that's really going to be beneficial. Um, And, uh, you know, the rest of the time you can either kind of breeze through the, each of the practices, or if you want to try to focus on on Vajrasattva or, or, or Guru Yoga, that's fine too. Um, so I know that's kind of a long-winded answer, but basically you can do it short, and you can obviously do it much longer. Isabel had a question about Salum.
1: Um, So Isabel in this text, can you hear me, Isabel? Are you good? Um so the salung is just kind of a preparatory
0: practice or uh, it's just the nine round breath that we're using uh, before entering into the practice session. So um, if you know the complete salung instruction that we do at the summer retreat, you can definitely do that as well. Um, but don't feel like you have to do the whole salung before we do nundro. You can just do the nine round breath and then, uh, and then just go from there.
1: Any other questions, guys? All right. Well, let's take a moment to
0: dedicate.
1: All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your evening, and we'll see you guys next week.